On this episode of the ISO, with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for the Gonzaga Nation Media Network, with the NBA Finals kicking off this week, um, and it's the Golden State Warriors against the Boston Celtics, thought I would release three previously recorded episodes of the ISO. The first will be with Golden State Warriors head coach, Steve Kerr, who joined me in spring of 2020 to talk a lot of different basketball uh, experiences, thoughts, as well as I come clean with a story about a college friend taking my phone and prank phone calling Steve Kerr while he was still a player with the Portland Trailblazers. The second one will be with current Boston Celtic assistant coach Damon Stoudemire, who as most recently was the head coach at the University of Pacific. I interviewed him uh, about a year ago last summer um, when he was still in that role. About a week or two later, he took the job with the Boston Celtics as an assistant coach to join fellow Portland native Ime Udoka on the staff of the Celtics. We talk about uh, a lot of his playing career, how he got into coaching, his philosophy, um, and then just kind of talk about the history of some of Portland basketball. The third of the re-releases for the ISO podcast tied into the NBA finals is Boston Celtics assistant coach, Ben Sullivan. Ben's from the Portland area as well, played at Lake Oswego High School just outside Portland, played at the University of Portland where he was a tremendous player for a number of years. Didn't think he was going to get into coaching, was actually doing a number of different things, uh, trying to build a business career of his own. And then he got started coaching a youth team that got the coaching bug going for him. He details and shares his experience of growing his coaching career. Uh, he won an NBA title a season ago with the Milwaukee Bucks. He talks a little bit about working alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, before making the switch and agreeing to be a part of the Celtics staff. So hope you enjoy these three re-releases of the ISO. Click that like, subscribe, review button. If you've got an idea of a guest that you would like me to reach out to, send it my way. I'll see what I can do. But thanks again for being a listener of the ISO on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. Dan Dickow, Scorbitt Live, Washington. Today, our podcast during our quarantine series due to the uncertain times uh, in the nation and in the world right now. We have uh, another great guest, this time somebody with an immense amount of experience as a player as well as a uh, front office executive and now currently one of the best coaches in the NBA, eight-time NBA champion, Steve Kerr. Steve, thank you for joining. Where are you at these days? And hopefully you and your family are all healthy. Yeah, thanks, Dan. We are uh, we are safe and healthy. We're, we're um, holed up in, in San Diego uh, in our family home. We, we have all three of our kids here with us, which is kind of nice because we're empty nesters now so we don't get to see them all the time and um, so you know given the circumstances we're, we're well aware that people are are struggling out there and and uh, you know we're, so we're very fortunate to be together and to be healthy and uh, just trying to trying to wait it out been going back to my times as a player in the NBA very you know impressed with how the NBA has always been ahead of the curve with different things, whether it's um, 
their the way they handle their media, the way they uh, approach social issues, regardless of what you agree with or disagree with. Uh, but the way that the NBA stepped up and uh, said, hey, we're done for the year, at least for the time being. What type of leader is Adam Silver and what could a high school athletic director or a coach take from the leadership that he provides to the league in general? Well, I think uh, Adam is really unique because he's, uh, he's a strong leader who uh, is, has a, a unique quality. He, he's, he's able to listen to everyone and gather information and uh, empower the people around him. But then once he's gathered all the information, uh, he's not afraid to go ahead and make a decision like he did with the suspension of the NBA season, which really was kind of the first domino to fall, as you know, in the, in the sports world. When that happened, everybody kind of said, oh man, this is, this is really serious. And uh, so it's, it's great working with, with Adam in a league that's run by Adam because I think everyone feels very comfortable in their right to speak out or to um, fight for a social cause that they feel strongly about, knowing that they have the league's support and, and knowing that, uh, that Adam uh, is going to give them the, the leeway they need. Scoreboard Live Washington, we're, we're focused on a lot of uh, high school sports in the state of Washington. We also have a big presence in California. So many of the people that listen to this are high school student athletes, coaches, parents. Can you look back on your high school experience? And I know you spent some time growing up overseas, but you went to, I believe it was Palisades High School in the LA area. Can you look back at any of the maybe teaching points or or big experiences that you had along the way that helped shape you as a player and now as a coach? Well, I had a, a, a great high school coach, uh, a guy by the name of Jerry Marvin, legendary high school coach in, in the Los Angeles area, passed away a few years ago. Uh, but uh, he was a John Wooden disciple. And so I was, I really was lucky to, uh, to get a great basketball education in high school. And, and even before that, um, you know, I, I, when I was growing up, it was before the specialization age where you played one sport all year round. You kind of just went from one sport to the next. Uh, but we had a really, really advanced uh, junior high basketball league where uh, the instruction was really good. Um, we were taught by high school players at Palisades High. So the junior high players would, would, would learn from the high school guys and then grow up, you know, a couple years later to play on the high school team and coach the junior high kids. And it was a really kind of nice organic way of learning the game where you're, you know, you're learning, it, but then you're teaching it as well a couple years later with younger kids. So I had a fantastic uh, basketball experience growing up and it really helped me prepare for my career. You also had a really unique um, college recruiting experience. I've read a number of articles uh, about uh, how your recruitment went. Uh, there was a time that you were considering Gonzaga, uh, but for some reason that didn't work out and you ended up having a phenomenal career at Arizona, played in the Final Four, I believe. For anybody who hasn't heard that story, can you share how the, the Gonzaga recruitment happened and, and occurred? Yeah, so they were recruiting me my senior year, and I, I didn't have 
many offers uh, in the middle of my senior year, but I was getting some interest and Gonzaga uh, sent me a letter, made a couple of calls and they said, hey, we want you to come on a visit uh, when the season's over. And I said, great. And I was, I was excited. It was my first visit anywhere. And and uh, they said, just here, you know, you, you can play when you're up here. I said, perfect. And I go up and see the campus, you know, see the locker room, meet the coaches, all that stuff. And they said, uh, hey, our guys are going to play pickup. You, you should go join them. I said, perfect. Put my shoes on. I joined the pickup game. And I'm being guarded by a guy named John Stockton. <laughs> he had just finished his senior season. He was getting ready for the draft. You know, I'm, I've, I'm a senior in high school. And I knew who he was because I was a basketball fan. And, uh, you know, growing up on the West Coast, I had heard of him. But it, it was a different time back then. You didn't have all the games on TV and everything. So I didn't know that much about him. John proceeded to wipe the floor with me. I mean, he, he stole the ball from me. He scored on me. It was total embarrassment. And uh, game, they basically took me into the office and they said, you know, we're, uh, we're going to go in a different direction. So I, I always blamed John Stockton for uh, ruining my, my, uh, my future at Gonzaga. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. I'm sure he, he did that to a lot of guys before people truly knew who John Stockton no was. You fast, flash, fast forward a few years, you have a tremendous career at Arizona. You've become uh, a, a bona fide NBA player. Um, you start to find the right fit for you as a player in the NBA. Um, and that's so important. High school, college, or the NBA, you're in a, in a, in a system that fits you. You play with some really good players. You start winning some NBA championships. What separates the good from the great players, regardless of level? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you've got different levels of talent. Um, so you get a guy who has uh, a ton of talent, but not much of a work ethic. You know, he can still make the league because of his talent. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you get a guy without much talent who – you know, works his tail off, um, he can he can also make the league by just being a hard worker. And so you, you what you look for, obviously, is the guys who have both. And, and uh, you know, if you, if you find a, a player who has the ability and the work ethic and the drive, uh, that's that's the home run. That's the Steph Curry. That's Michael Jordan. You know, the LeBron James. That, that's that's the grand slam that you're looking for. And I find that most players in the league are kind of somewhere in the middle of all that. You know, most guys work pretty hard. Um, most guys are pretty talented. And so what, what often separates them is awareness, you know, awareness of what their role is and what's expected of them. And so as a coach, I try to remember that all the time. I can help my players immensely by reminding them of what I want from them, you know, instead of sitting there and watching them make mistakes and say, say to the other coaches, I, I don't think this, this is what we need from you. And if we don't get this from you, you're not going to make it. But if you can do this X, Y, and Z, now you fit into this slot in our team, you can help us win games. Now you make a career. And so 
that's, that's why communication both ways, player and coach back and forth is so important, but it often kind of goes uh, by the wayside. I've always, uh, you know, been impressed with Steph Curry. Uh, I had a chance to play against him one time. It was the last year that I was part of an NBA training camp. And um, unfortunately, I was with the Suns when you were the front office and, and I had to be cut. And well, I won't go there because <laughs> that's a different story. Um, but I was impressed with his skill at an early age. But when you watch the evolution of his career, I've become more and more impressed of his attention to detail. What, what impresses you most about Steph Curry, the player as well as the person? I think the most impressive thing um, about him as a player is his confidence level. You know, there's very few players who I've ever been around who are over 10 um, can just launch the 11th shot and really expect it to go in. Michael Jordan was like that. To be that way when you're, you know, 6'3", 185 pounds. Um, because, you know, if you're, a, if you're a big, strong guy in the NBA, you can go to the rim and get fouled and, and get a couple free throws, get yourself going. Uh, but Steph has such supreme confidence, and, he, and he's uh, – he just doesn't have the size and strength of, of most superstars. And so his, his confidence in his skill level and his ability, his belief in himself uh, above everything allows him uh, to accomplish what he's, what he's done. I'm sure you've been asked this question a lot over the last couple of weeks because one of the best documentaries that, that I've ever seen has started to be released, The Last Dance. Um, our interview today will probably release in about 10 days or so on Scorebook Live Washington, but you, are, I'm sure, are watching that documentary, but you were also a part of it with interviews, and you lived it that whole entire year. What was that year with Michael Jordan and the Bulls like, knowing that you had a chance to win a third title in a row and the team was about to be broke up by the front office? It was really kind of a bizarre um, for a, a championship team uh, to be broken up before it even has a chance uh, to defend a, a, a title, it would be unheard of, and it would cause mass hysteria in the sports media. And uh, so, at the time, you know, we were living in a different time. There was uh, there was a lot of media, but it was a different type of media. You know, you just didn't have uh, you didn't have the constant uh, judgment criticism that that social media provides and, and you know back then it was kind of compartmentalized you know you had the newspaper you had talk radio you had sports center and that was kind of it and uh and so even though it was a huge story it you know you, you could sort of get removed from it and um but it was just weird because here we were, this team that had won two championships in a row. And then, you know, we've got the greatest player of all time in Michael Jordan and one of the great coaches of all time, Phil Jackson. And before the season even started, uh, we were all told, this is it. This, is, this, this team's going to be broken up. So that became a galvanizing force and Phil Jackson used it as one. 
and he named it the last dance before the season even started. And, uh, and we use that as motivation to ultimately, you know, get it done and, and win another championship. I, I can only imagine it brings back a ton of memories for you having lived it. It's bringing back a ton of memories for me as a kid watching those, those, those teams and those games. Um, you had tremendous success player, front office broadcaster, and I'm currently in the broadcasting world doing, doing college games throughout the year, and I love it. Uh, but you don't have the constant need to take the game home with you and break film down and create scouting reports. When the game's over, it's over. You decided to get into the coaching world. What sparked that? And how did you go about formal, forming your coaching philosophy? Because you had an amazing amount of success in no time. Uh, so I, I went into um, TV because I wanted to stay around the game and I wanted to be around my, my family. And the, the, the television job really allowed for the best of both worlds. You know, I was right in the thick of it in the NBA doing games for TNT and then also for some of the college games with CBS. And so it kept me in it, but um, my kids were, were at home and I was able to see them and go to their games and their school plays and, and all that stuff. And, uh, but as, um, as they went through high school and kind of moved on to college, I, I had an itch to, to compete. Uh, and the only way you can really compete at, as you get older is to coach, you know, or, or be in management. And, and I always wanted to coach. I always felt like I wanted to be on the floor with the players and, um, it was something I had thought about. And so I, I spent a good couple of years kind of planning for a job interview, putting together a, a manifest for my assistant, uh, spent a lot of time preparing. And, and one of the ways I, I prepared was by talking to a lot of uh, former coaches in, in a number of different sports. So I was able to to utilize the time that I had and 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 prepare, and then I got really lucky because most most coaches don't get to inherit a team like the Warriors. You know, uh, it was a unique set of circumstances, and uh, normally your first job you'd be coaching a, a bad team trying to help them get better. I got a job where the the team I I coached was already really good, and uh, I was just trying to help them get to the next step. So. It was a pretty good set of circumstances, but I prepared for it, and and um, and I'm I'm really enjoying it now. Well, you can see there's lots of uh, things when I watch your you coach and when I watch uh, your teams play. You kind of took some of the best things um, from coaches as well as teams that you have played against or with. Um, how would you describe your system, or who did you take the most from? of your times as a player and then also as a broadcaster while you're watching? I think, um, you know, my, uh, my mentors were Phil Jackson and, and Greg Popovich. And, and uh, those were the, the, the coaches who really made the biggest impact on me at the, at the NBA level. And uh, so I took a lot from both the Spurs and the Bulls uh offensively we we run a, we don't run the triangle offense but a lot of the elements within our offense are based on the triangle things we did in chicago um and also there's stuff from, uh, uh, from san antonio things i learned from pop 
Uh, I think there's a, there's a Mike D'Antoni influence as there is all over the NBA. Um, you know, Mike and Phoenix really took that, that power forward and moved him from the, the block out to the three-point line just to open up the floor. And it changed the whole NBA. Everybody started doing it. And, you know, we, we started doing that uh, in Golden State and, and shooting a lot of threes. And I think Mike changed the, the mindset around the league. So all those factors came in, into play for me. And, and, uh, but the number one factor is always your talent as a coach. And, and we, were, we were loaded. Uh, so I just tried to, to give our guys the best chance to, to take advantage of that talent and, and let them loose. How are you spending this downtime? Uh, are you preparing for the NBA draft when it happens, scouting and watching uh, college film? Are you keeping a, an eye on, you know, scouting reports for if the season returns? What, what, are you, what do your days look like? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of uh, – I've been watching a lot of college games. This is the first time that I will really be involved much in the draft. Um, because of the, the the extra time that we've had, uh, usually um, at least for us the last five years, because we've been in the finals, the draft has happened literally a couple weeks after the the finals have ended, and I haven't known much at all about any of the college. Now, because of the suspension, but also because of the fact that that uh, to and Bob Myers is great, our general manager. He he uh, he, he t- you know really uh, respects uh, opinions from a lot of different people around him in the organization, and and so I'll I'll offer my thoughts, and ultimately uh, you know Bob will make the decision. But it's uh, I'm trying to make the most of my time. You know, this, these uh, day and ages of social media for high school kids, college kids, is a very unique time. Uh, I'm sure as a young kid, um, back then you didn't have some concerns about going out and, and making mistakes. Uh, what would your advice be to, to young kids on how to handle social media and, and always put themselves in the best light? That's a great question, and um, it's uh... – to be frank, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the right guy to, to, you know, my kids sort of laugh at me. I'm, I'm on social media, I'm on Twitter, and, and I enjoy some aspects of it, but I also see the damage that can come um, with, the, with the criticism and the judgment. We're all, we're all human, and so there's this uh, phenomenon in this country where everybody's sort of lashing out at each other behind the safety of their keyboard or their phone. And uh, um, it's very unhealthy, you know? People say stuff to each other on social media that they would never say face-to-face. And so I think you have to be really, really careful with this stuff. What I try to do is is use my uh, voice on Twitter to uh, either uh, maybe uh, push for a social cause that I believe in or just share an article that I enjoyed reading, but I, I, I try to, I, I try not to get too involved because I, I can just see, you know, how negative it can be as well. But it's again, as a 54 year old who didn't grow up with this stuff, uh, my kids, my kids kind of laugh at me with the social media stuff. So what, what do I know? 
<laughs> my kids laugh at me all the time now with different things that I say or do. Um, but the reason I asked that question is, is I have to, uh, I have to come clean with a confession to you, Steve. We met for the first time my senior year after playing at Gonzaga and, and Mark Bartlestein was both of our player agents. Um, he set up around a golf for us. We went and played golf and you became uh, a, a kind of a, a sounding board as I was choosing an agent. Um, do you remember playing nine holes at Heron Lakes years ago? Sure do. Sure do. That, that, was, fun. that, was, that was a good day for sure. But the reason I asked that social media question is because we had, as a college student at Gonzaga, there wasn't a lot to do. You're in the gym, you're hanging out with your buddies. And one of our friends, this was in the day and age of prank phone calls. He found <laughs> my phone while we were in Las Vegas for uh, uh, my bachelor party. And he prank phone called you. His name was J.B. Broward. I don't know if, <laughs> if you're going to remember this, but it shows just how great of a guy that you were. He prank phone called you and said that he had a basketball camp that he was running for special needs kids um, in Yakult, Washington, which is about 40 minutes from Portland. And he was the most gracious, you listened to his entire story. You said, I would do, I'll do everything that I can to help you. And then he got going more and more with the story of needing you to bring his, your teammates. And you said, I was, I'm not going to speak to my teammates. I'm not going to ask them to be involved. But I will be there to support you as best I can because I think what you're trying to do for kids in the area is great. His conversation got going weirder and weirder. And I, I was 20 feet away just <laughs> shaking because he took my phone and did this, right? At the end of the conversation, you said this. I don't know if this is a know true that phone can... call or not anymore, but if this is real, call me in one week. I will be a part of your basketball camp. If this is <laughs> not true and this is a prank, this is the funniest thing I've heard in a couple weeks. I appreciate it. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, man. So that was your bachelor party? Yeah, that's, uh, I had to come clean. That's uh, a friend of mine from college. His name's Eric Edelstein. He's now a comedian. He works as an actor in Hollywood. Uh, if you've seen Jurassic World, he's the security guard that got eaten by a dinosaur. Um, so Nice. He deserved it after that prank he pulled on me. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I wanted to tell you that story years ago. Uh, after when we were when I was in Phoenix in training camp, but we never had the time. Um, so I'm glad that I was able to come clean and share that with you. And I appreciate you being so gracious then, uh, a good sport today. And I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, you had some great piece, uh, pieces of advice and nuggets for people that are going to be listening in. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it for all the great pieces of advice, the nuggets uh, that you've shared with everybody that's listening and, and for being a great sport. Uh, wish you continued success. It's been great uh, reconnecting. Well, thank